Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Stride Power Podcast. My name is Evan Schwartz and I'm the host of the show. We hope you enjoy listening to our wide range of athletes, coaches, and experts in the running world. You can find out more about Stride at stride.com, spelled S-T-R-Y-D.com, or check out the show notes. Feel free to give us a follow on social media by searching for Stride Running, again, S-T-R-Y-D, running. Without further ado, let's get on to the show. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another Stride for the Love of Running webinar series. Thanks for everybody tuning in. We're going to talk about Stride data at the New York City Marathon in 2019. Uh, as always, my name is Evan. I'm your host for this series. And we have Gus here today. Gus, how are you doing? I'm doing excellent, Evan. Awesome. Yeah, we're, we're super excited just to uh, talk, talk to everybody about New York City Marathon data. We got this suggestion, I think. Um, at one of our webinars, I think it was last week, I, I do believe somebody had a lot of fun, you know, talking through some Boston Marathon course advice. So we might as well look at New York City Marathon advice as well. So I'm um, very excited to talk more about this. First, before we dive in, anybody watching live, I would definitely encourage if you have any questions or experience with the New York City Marathon, send them as a chat either on the YouTube or the Facebook stream, and our team will send them along to us to respond to or to read. Uh, a lot of people that we have met at the New York City Marathon Expo have a great experience at New York City, specifically after using Stride, just because we're going to talk about how arduous and how different the course is from other major city marathons. The other thing I would like to uh, note at the start of this is if you can like the stream, if you're watching on YouTube, that definitely helps us uh, get a little bit more exposure for these live streams. So definitely feel free to do that. Um, yeah, like I said, starting things off, we're going to take a look back at the New York City Marathon data from 2019. Topics. We're going to cover race conditions. We're going to talk about breaking down the course. And we have a special announcement after we talk about the New York City Marathon data. And as always, we will answer your questions as well. First off, uh, here's a great photo collage of all the great people we get to meet at the New York City Marathon. We absolutely love being there. It seems like um, you know, it was just uh, a few months ago, right, Gus? Like, it, it seems like it was just a blink of an eye when we were, uh, you know, talking to everybody at the New York City Marathon Expo. What's your favorite part of the New York City Marathon Expo in particular? Is there anything you really enjoy about being there? Well, I think the slide says it, 53, over 53,000 uh, finishers, and it's a great excitement. It's a great number of people. There's a great energy around running, and there's a lot of striders. This is one of the biggest strider races out there, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, here's uh, here's a nice group of maybe uh, 10 different striders. There's probably 50 more I have on my phone, but... Um, <laughs> We have a huge number of stride users, and that's what I love, the, the excitement and the number of people. Absolutely. And yeah, I, I wanted to put that stat in there. 53,518 finishers in 2019. It's the world's largest marathon. It is uh, something that, you know, my, myself personally, I've been there twice with stride. And the atmosphere and the electricity 
around the New York City Marathon is something different. Boston, Chicago, um, you know, the other major city marathons, they have something special. But New York, there's just this kind of electric atmosphere there, I feel like. So, um, you know, when we're staying in our hotel, I get to go jog around Central Park, just see so many people out there running. It is just, it is totally electric. It's a, it's a great, great uh, place to be. Um, conditions, things were really good for the 2019 New York City Marathon. A little chilly at the start, uh, a low of 38 degrees Fahrenheit, three Celsius for the day. Start temperatures, 47 degrees Fahrenheit, eight degrees Celsius, a high of 55 uh, degrees Fahrenheit, 13 Celsius, humidity 56%. I think I remember looking at the weather statistics as well. There was a five mile an hour wind out of the West. So really, really optimal race conditions. Gus, do you remember anything specifically about the race day from this past year? It's always a beautiful, cool day. It's a great day to have a fantastic race every single year. I think the conditions are always extremely favorable. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the kind of line I remember from when I ran high school cross country, there was a referee that would start a lot of the races. And whenever there was a good weather day, which there usually was, he would say it's a no excuses kind of day. So that was what I remember thinking uh, for, for this race in particular, no excuses kind of day, um, just the weather. Uh, did, did not really give a reason to, uh, you know, th throw in the towel on any performance, uh, performance expectations. The course, um, this is something that is definitely unique about New York is the fact that it is a point to point. It has a big uphill and a big downhill within the first two miles, which we'll cover. Uh, you go through the five boroughs, you have the crowds and the scenery. Like we, we mentioned the 53,000 over 53,000 finishers the crowds come out in, in, in droves. It's a massive, massive amount of people all the way throughout the whole entire course, minus a couple points we'll talk about, which um, really, really help playing, uh, play up that kind of mental fortitude side. Uh, tall buildings and bridges as well, um, and the scenery is, is absolutely fantastic. You get to, um, if you're not super focused in on the race, you don't get that tunnel vision, you get to see a lot of very, very cool um, sights and scenery. Gus, any comments on the course? Just because, you know, we've talked to so many people at the expos. We've talked to so many people that have used stride. Anything you would like to add about the course just to, as a notoriety standpoint? Well, we're really going to dive into it, but this is the perfect storm for running with power. Mm -hmm. uh, huge, huge uphills and downhills, crowds to, to mess with the uh, kind of your psych and, and how you're feeling. But um, this is really the perfect running of power course. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit more specifically about the course. Like we mentioned, there are large ups and downs over the bridges. There's a big downhill that's pretty significant at mile 16. And then you have a really long incline to the Central Park finish. So as you can see here, uh, if you're if you're watching uh, live or watching the YouTube video, the, the course is very up and down. And if uh, you're listening to the podcast audio version of this, definitely check out the New York City Marathon course. If you haven't seen the elevation graph, there are significant ups and downs, which makes it a, like I said, perfect storm to, to run by power. So starting off the first two miles, you start on the uh, Verrazano Narrows Bridge. Uh, the the thing that we talked about for Boston specifically is being in a starting crown, being able to negotiate those corrals, um, you know, with an expert mindset. You want to be cautious in the start. No matter what marathon you're racing, you cannot win 
in the first mile. You are not going to set a personal best in the marathon if you give everything you have in the first mile. So it's helpful to be mindful of the first mile specifically. Pretty much, I, I was scanning through, um, you know, a, a lot of the different data sets that we have here. Pretty much everybody starts off very, 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 very high the, the first mile, but it's the people that can rein in that effort that really have the most success. So it is okay to start off a little bit, uh, a little bit higher power as you run up a hill. Um, you don't necessarily want to walk the first mile, um, but keep in mind that you should not uh, sustain this high, high power output. You should kind of focus in this this rhythm. So the first thing is to be mindful of the first uphill. It's very, very easy to get carried away, especially because you're starting on this bridge. You say, I'm running the New York City Marathon. The thing that you should keep in mind is that after you've reined things in a little bit in the first mile, don't try to make up any time on the downhill. That is probably one of the, you know, the the, the biggest points we can try and say is do not try and bank any time in the second mile. You, you can't win a marathon early. You're not going to set, um, you know, a personal best two miles into uh, a marathon. You really, really want to focus on that long term, but focusing on the bridge start is probably one of the things that people have the least practice in, in terms of, uh, you know, practicing something and training and executing on race day is something we talk about a lot specifically starting up a big uphill and going down a big downhill and then settling in is something people have a lot of work to be able to add in to their training routine to really have a, a great race day. And then again, the fourth point here, navigate the crowds and be patient. It's something that you get with a 53,000 plus person marathon. You just have to be patient in these first couple miles, especially with this big uphill and downhill. Gus, any comments on specifically the first two miles here? Yeah, you hit it on perfectly. For a course like this, I always say you really want your, your lowest power at the start. If you keep your lowest power at the start, that is setting you up for the best chance of success, especially if you have not run the course before. Uh, I think it's, it's so crucial to have your lowest mile power splits at the start of the race. Absolutely. Um, let's move on to the, the second part of the course, miles 3 through 12 through Brooklyn. This is something we talked about specifically uh, going back to the, the Boston webinar we did of, you know, you, you get through the first four downhill miles at Boston, and then you have to settle in for the next 12 miles. Well, it's a similar, similar thing here for these next nine to 10 miles. The thing that you should absolutely focus on is getting into a groove. You have to prepare for this exact scenario and execute on race day and don't do any extra work you don't have to do. So talking a little bit more in depth here, the elevation, there's tiny little rollers in here, but there's nothing like the bridge that you just ran up and down. So really, really trying to focus and lock in and get in a groove is something we could absolutely recommend. One training strategy for somebody targeting New York that I might personally suggest is finding a place where you can do a couple uphill and downhill repeats and then practice going into your marathon power. So have a very, very specific marathon power range in mind. Do one uphill, one downhill, one uphill, one downhill, go into that marathon power target for a tempo. This will help you not only mentally, but physically as well, be able to handle an uphill and a downhill, and then immediately go into that marathon power target. This will help 
physically on race day, but also mentally knowing that you've prepared for this exact scenario. And now on race day, it's nothing new to you. You're totally fine having a power target on an uphill, on a downhill, your legs are used to that. Um, you know, extra work you have to do to overcome that climbing resistance. You're used to having to use that downhill running technique. And now you've immediately prepared your body to get into that groove on race day. The thing that I'll say here too, is that you are starting to get um, into the into the crowds for the very first time. So don't push, uh, you know, within the first 10K, don't try and exceed any power targets that you potentially had um, for race day, get into that groove exactly as you prepared. Gus, what are your thoughts on this second section here for the course? Yeah, this is the uh, easiest part. Uh, you just, you just conquered the big, the, the big, uh, the big bridge. You just conquered that. And this is, you know, this is, you know, a piece of cake in comparison. So this is really the easiest part. I think this is all about, if you have the power target that you've practiced exactly how you described Devin, where you practice in those conditions, this is where you just stick very tightly to the power target. You should have no concerns at all. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, this, this example power, um, you know, range underneath here is showing this athlete is running a little bit under their critical power, a little couple, um, bumps over, but generally staying right, right at that line for, for this representation. The next section here, uh, we're, we're going to talk about, a very, very short, quick section, but a, a section that can make and break a race. So this is going uh, into Queens, ending the first half and beginning the second half of the race. The biggest, biggest, biggest point here that we can possibly stress is mentally preparing for the Queensboro Bridge, practicing a mantra during training to use during the race at this specific point, thinking back to your training in the silence that you have over the bridge, and then also one little tip, um, you know, that, that we've gathered is that uh, they, I think they generally lay out a, a type of like carpet material on the bridge. So making sure you run on the correct surface and not necessarily um, the harsh surface of the bridge um, would be something to keep in mind. The, the thing that I would also suggest for, for people training here is like we mentioned, doing some uphill and downhill repeats specifically uh, before a marathon power um, target tempo. I would also suggest potentially bookending a marathon power target tempo with some uphill and downhill repeats as well to specifically prepare for this section of the course. So you have that big uphill and downhill start, you lock into that power target for the next nine to 10 miles. And then now you have two very uh, quick successions of bridges that you have to run up and down. And so um, this would be something that I think people can expertly introduce into their training. You can absolutely reflect back on the Queensboro Bridge when, when you're running during the actual race, and you can practice the mantra that you've uh, set for yourself. We have a, a great episode um, and a couple of great people that we've talked to uh, over the past couple of weeks, specifically about using mental strategies to improve your performance, not only during training, but on race days. So this is a perfect, perfect point to keep in mind as you go ahead towards the Queensboro Bridge and as you run through this 13 through 15 mile section, uh, think back to your training on the bridge, kind of take that time to self-reflect and get ready for this second half of the race. Gus, any comments you have here about this specific short section? 
Yeah, I'd like to really stress the mentally prepare for the Queensboro Bridge. Uh, if, if you're not ready for it, this is where I see maybe half the races end once you hit the second bridge here, the second big bridge at Queensboro. If um, if you're not ready, that this could really be the end of your race. And I, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but it really is. And I think it'll really appear when we go to the next uh, the next slide. Yeah. So this specifically, huge up, flat huge down the thing that i will echo here a hundred percent of the time is just the thing that i've heard from so many people you start going up the bridge it starts getting hard uh because you know you've had that relatively flat stretch through brooklyn you've gone up um, i think it's the pulaski bridge uh you've darted through queens and you're coming up the queensboro bridge you are going to be again in that um in that tunnel of silence almost uh, for for the whole stretch of this bridge. And as you start to crest the bridge, as you start to come on down, again, don't push too hard. Don't try and make up any time. But you'll start to hear the crowds going absolutely insane. And this is something that I've heard has been overwhelming to some people during the point of the race, where it's the first time that you've gotten crowds uh, since you've started this bridge. You've had that mental reflection. You're doing this first kind of check-in with how, how you're feeling. And if you're not like mentally prepared to mentally check in and kind of take, take that stock of your, of your mindset during this time of silence, just that overwhelming emotional rush of the crowds leads to people pushing super duper hard as you can see here at the at the um bottom of the the bridge here as we have on this example you can see this power dip right back up so it's good to get right back on that power target but hold a little bit of restraint just keep a little bit of that emotional check there enjoy the crowds enjoy people going absolutely insane as you as you make that turn but do not push too hard because you still have 10 miles left. You still have 16 kilometers left before you get to cross the finish line in Central Park. So just keep that mental check in there. Um, but like we said on the previous slide, really, really, really focus during training on a mantra that you can reflect on during this time of uh, relative silence during the race. Gus, what comments do you have about running on the bridge? You know, if, if you show me the data from just these few miles here, I can tell you how the race went. That's a, that's a surefire case and, and a large majority of the data we look at every year. When someone comes back with their data from last year, it, I, I, I usually just immediately go to this section. I can tell you how your race went. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really important skill when you're analyzing any race course. You have to figure out where that make or break moment is. Absolutely. Where is that make or break moment? Then apply the exact training principle you described, Evan, where you're practicing in training. You want to practice hills at the start. You want to be running 10 to 12 miles. Then you want to be doing a hill just like this one and see if you can hold up to that pressure and see if you can prepare how, how you've described. Absolutely. And the, the, the thing you know that we, we see time and time again is that the New York City Marathon is a bunch of races and a bunch of different courses almost and a bunch of different mini challenges all within one larger marathon distance race and this is absolutely one of them like gus said it's it's that make or break moment for a lot of people um or it's that precursor 
uh, if you don't execute kind of exactly as you had planned, it's that precursor to not necessarily uh, succeeding as, as well as you had wanted to. So let's look at the next section here. Um, I feel like the downhill in the bridge flows perfectly into the next section here. This is Manhattan part one. You'll have a slight downhill. The point that you should try and remember is, again, to not try and bank time. As you get through the end of this section, you have about 10K left to go, so it's a good um, kind of mental check-in before you uh, dart into the next borough. But really, really, really enjoy your first taste of the, the large amount of crowds um, and, and that exposure, but keep things emotionally under control. That's, that's one thing. Uh, again, coming off the bridge, it's easy to um, have that rush of adrenaline for about a mile and then you've said, you know what? Yeah, I, I, I've made up, you know, about 30 seconds that I lost off the bridge. And I'm just going to try and push even harder for this next mile because I get this little bit of downhill to work with again. It doesn't really work in your favor. You're going to hit this flat section before you uh, head up over another bridge. So it's really good to just try and lock in on that target and try and get as close to your target as you possibly can. Gus, any thoughts about Manhattan Part 1? Yeah, you know, don't count your chickens before they hatch here. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, there's a lot of races like this. It's, um, you know, when you're in, when you're, if you're racing Kona, you're racing New York City, there's usually a part kind of near the end where you can sense the finish line excitement. Yes. Where it's either within, you know, earshot or within sights. Mm -hmm. So you get that little boost. You think, all right, I'm just going to cruise on in. And, uh, you know, you just don't want to count your chickens before the hatch. You got to, you got to realize your, your place inside the race. Totally. And a lot of people think that, you know, they can just exit the Queensboro bridge and just continue directly on to central park, get that nice little hurrah in there. And, uh, you, you have to run, you know, 10 more miles before you get to finish. So, um, keeping that in mind, just working with this stretch, just again, we're going to echo getting right back on that power target. So this little section here from uh, about 20 to 21, you have two quick bridges uh, heading and exiting the Bronx. Um, you really, 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 again, need to, if you want to prepare specifically for New York, I do not think that there's anything better than running uphill and downhill repeats and trying to get right back into that marathon power target. It is something that is going to absolutely um, you know, work, work in your favor on race day, specifically, again, mentally remembering that you were able to execute perfectly during training. So there's no excuses on actual race day. The one thing I kind of want to plug here is a last big focus on nutrition. It's very, very easy to get um, a, a little bit lazy with nutrition as you're dealing with all these different uh, parts of the course. Again, like we mentioned, um, you know, you get in this really good steady state rhythm as you're running through Brooklyn, uh, you come off the bridge, you're dealing with the crowds. But as you hit 2021, that's really when you want to make sure that you're staying on top of, of giving your body the, the proper fueling that you need. We've had a ton of experts that have come on the show to talk about properly fueling during training and racing. And this is the, the thing that you can easily, easily do a check-in to just make sure that you've stayed on top of all your nutrition. Um, you know, nutrition is a very personal thing. So whatever type of nutrition you take, um, make sure just to stay on top of that. But it's absolutely a great checkpoint here as you um, go over two quick bridges in quick succession, you run through the Bronx, just make sure that you're fueling yourself to be ready to have a great uh, execution as you enter back into Manhattan. So Gus, any other thoughts here? Yeah, so mile 20 is typically the wall for a lot of people. So, mm -hmm. 
you have bridge, wall, bridge. So Absolutely. it's not just enough to prepare for hill running late into a race. You also have to make sure that you still have the endurance to keep running after that. So, you know, everyone everyone always knows they have to overcome the wall, but uh, you don't want to lose focus that when you prepare for this race. You just don't want to fo hyper-focus on bridges when you still have a wall to overcome as well. Absolutely. So let's let's move on to uh, almost the last part here. So Manhattan part two, mile 21 to 24, you have the last quote unquote flat section before you head into rolling hills. There is a big incline on Fifth Avenue that feels almost imperceptible just because of the scale of what you're looking at, right? Like you have these wide open city streets, uh, these tall buildings that are there. You're next to Central Park. You're really, really licking your chops. You're getting ready to dart to the dart to the finish line. You have these crowds again that have started to get, um, you know, raucous to a point, right? Like they're 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 really energetic. They're really cheering you on. But you have to execute this 5K section here before you get to the last, you know, kind of crowning two mile to last 3K um, section as you go through Central Park. The one thing that I think that this, um, you know, th this this example of the, the power line that we have uh, for, for the live video and the video replay is that this athlete in particular, do you see how dead even that power is at mile 21 through 24, there's no focus on trying to keep the same pace as the athlete is running up this long incline on Fifth Avenue. A lot of people would be staring at their um, you know, GPS watch around you if they don't have stride and they're trying to just pick things up, but they can't perceive that uphill. But because you're running with power, you're focusing exactly on the target that you set for yourself. You know that you've come off the bridges running really well and you're just locking right back into that target because you've prepared on your training days to execute specifically on race day. So I thought this was a perfect illustration here of how well somebody can run from this 5k section from 21 through 24 before you get into Central Park and you have to start dealing with these uphills and downhills. Just looking at the discipline here and how great of a job this athlete in particular did at not pushing up the long, almost imperceivable incline on Fifth Avenue. Um, but when you're past, you know, mile 20 in a marathon, pretty much everything feels like an incline. Um, I, I, I like to think even a downhill sometimes feels like it's uh, an uphill um, in disguise. But this athlete showed great, great discipline not pushing too hard. Gus, any thoughts about Manhattan Part 2? Um, you know, I guess the start of this, it, the start of this incline, that's kind of the, you know, this is a, uh, it really zooms in on whatever happened at, at Queensboro. If, if you had a good Queensboro, then this may be slightly worse, but slightly too much worse. If you get a really bad Queensboro, this is going to be a lot worse. This mm -hmm. start of this incline. So whatever happened earlier is going to, is going to happen again, but it's going to be magnified. Absolutely. And you will typically see a lot of people, if they, you know, navigated the Bronx fine, you, you will see a lot of people start to stop and walk as soon as they hit this uphill because they've realized they've just pushed way too hard on the bridges, right? They haven't shown any discipline uh, because they've been trying to make up time down the big downhills. Um, but then that catches up with you as you get to, to you know, around mile 23, 24. Um, so a great kind of illustration 
for discipline. Now we're going to talk about the, the last kind of closing section. This is, I think, our favorite part of the course, right, Gus? When we're cheering there, we're, we're in Central Park. We're watching everybody. We're, um, you know, maybe right at Columbus Circle. Uh, we're, we're just watching everybody have, uh, you know, a, a great, great race as the Central Park to the finish. Again, 24 to 26.2. The points here that we have are to respect your power over the last rolling hills, to practice the course and enjoy the last stretch. So first and foremost, respecting your power over the last rolling hills. This is where if you push slightly, slightly above your capability, as you can see here, this athlete doesn't really exceed their critical power too much, but they still have a sort of response to trying to, to close out the race as good as possible because they were able to keep discipline as they ran up the incline on Fifth Avenue, as they kept uh, discipline as they were running over bridges. They're able to surge and put in a little bit more effort as they're passing people in these last, um, you know, two miles uh, around three kilometers or so. Uh, the the ability to finish well over the last rolling hills is something you see in successful races, but the um, you know, kind of downturn over the last 10K is something you see of people that really didn't have that discipline early on. The second point I have here is kind of a convenience thing. If anybody travels to New York or has traveled to New York in the past, or, you know, if we, um, you know, have the ability to, uh, you know, be in New York in, in November of this year, practicing the course, if you get in, uh, you know, a day or two ahead, specifically these last 2.2 or three miles, this is a excellent, excellent idea. You want to have, especially if it's your first, um, you know, your, your first go at New York, you want to visualize closing out a very even target. It can be something, you know, like 80% of your marathon power, right? Let's say your, your, your marathon power, you, you have a set amount, take 80% of that, try and run at that, but keep that power as even as possible over the last 2.2 to 3 miles, and you'll see exactly how much you have to back things down as you go over a hill. So you have to respect your power over the last rolling hills. But if you have the convenience of being able to practice these last couple miles, it's not only helpful in any other race scenario that you do, but specifically at New York, knowing what is coming instead of never experiencing anything like Central Park, uh, but before the last couple miles of the race, it will be a huge, huge advantage to you, um, I do believe. And then the last point here is to enjoy the last stretch. It's so fun having those crowds right at the finish line, running in with all your fellow uh, runners and racers. It's just such a great experience to uh, see, you know, the 400 meters left to go, 200 meters left to go, kicking it in, seeing all the flags from all the countries there. It's a great, great experience. It's our favorite spot to watch athletes have a ton of success um, finishing. Gus, any comments here for the last couple miles of the course? Yeah, what one point on the enjoyment? So mm -hmm. you see that little uh, that little corner there at Columbus Circle. Mm -hmm. uh, so we probably watched more runners finish uh, Columbus Circle over the last five years than anyone else. Like we 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 stood out there. We uh, we really had a deep analysis of the race and. Um, just know that you're never feeling as bad as the guy who's. Um, I mean, there's always there's always a there's always going to be someone within your field of view that is either limping, holding onto the fence, um, crawling. 
And yeah. you just have to know that you don't feel as bad as that guy. So however bad you're feeling, which you will be feeling bad, you, you should really enjoy it because you're never going to be feeling as bad as the worst guy out there. There's always – there's it's a, it's carnage. It's carnage, this this final stretch. And, um, you know, that's why you're running a stride. You don't want to be – you don't want to be that person. You want to really enjoy this last stretch and um, – and know that you do have the power to push through because there's always a, oh, someone out there feeling a lot, lot worse than you are at that point in time. Absolutely. It's it's so fun to be there. I, I, I will never forget the first time, um, you know, in 2018 when I went with Stride to go watch, you know, to go to the expo and watch the marathon. Standing there at Columbus Circle is just so much fun seeing everybody put in such hard work right like everybody is grimacing everybody is you know trying to close things out whether you're a new york city marathon champion whether you're making you know your first run as an elite or you're an experienced runner you're an age group athlete you're somebody trying to squeak under the three hour barrier everybody is working really hard there so it's super fun just to just to see that um let's see new york city and gps pace this that was the wrap up of the course here's one section i want to um, highlight specifically is the other people around you on the course. Like we talked about in the intro, uh, New York City is obviously famous for you know tall buildings and bridges. Other people around you might be experiencing frustration, but using stride on race day, just look at the comparison here between the blue line, which is the GPS pace and power. Power for both of these different athletes is so even. It's within this incredibly small band. But the GPS pace for the uh, you know the athlete on the top it bounces from 540 down to 1114, up to 716, up to 609, and everywhere in between within this short couple mile span. And then for the athlete on the bottom, 552 down to 1106, up to 624, up to 558, and again, everywhere in between within this very short span here. So making sure that uh, if you have the ability to use stride for pace and distance, but just look at how much more even, reliable, and responsive in real time to your actual running condition stride is. It's amazing to me. I, I reviewed so many data sets, and I could tell instantly whether somebody was using stride pace and distance, whether they were pacing by pace and distance or power, uh, or whether they were using GPS pace and distance to kind of gauge off of and they were just wearing stride. So we can really, really tell the successful um, athletes that are able to follow power-based plans versus relying on that GPS. Because if you're running, let's just say you're trying to run six minute mile average, and your GPS watch shows you running 1114 while you're sprinting up a bridge and you don't have good satellite reception, you have totally thrown out um, you know, the last three miles of your race because you've just burned that match. You've just pushed way, way too hard. So I think um, these are a couple great graphical examples uh, very quickly to just illustrate why it's so much more useful to be using stride to look at for, for the power instead of relying on the pace. Gus, any comments here from you? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is the most important point. And it's it's funny because New York City probably has the most data-driven runners yep. out of any marathon in the world running. But if you're not using stride, that you can't possibly be running on data. You can't get good data, especially from GPS in this situation. So 
you know, this also speaks to the importance of trusting your own race plan. If you have stride and you have it collected for pace and distance and you're looking at the power, you have to trust your data. You have to trust your data. If you see someone going off and pushing, if you see someone going off and pulling back, they, they're probably not running based on data. There's probably no strategy there. So, you know, don't ever get caught up in the crowd. If you have the good data, you must trust the good data and, you know, use it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, I, I, I wish I could show, you know, 10 slides here of different cases. Um, and, you know, that might be an interesting follow up here. But just knowing that, yeah, if you're running between, like we say, all these tall buildings, especially on race day, tall buildings, bridges, relying on power, this is a great uh, graphical illustration of why using stride to pace with power is, is so much better and superior than just trying to use pace here. So we have a question from sure. Jamie Escalante. Mm -hmm. Jamie asks, how accurate is stride when running between the high rises in New York City? Yeah, do, do you want to answer that, Gus? Well, so it's important to remember that stride is not required GPS. Stride is purely, the metric stride collects is purely based on the motion of your foot. So that means that stride can maintain the same accuracy anywhere you're running, whether you're running indoor on the treadmill, open sky, you know, open field on a wide open trail or in a tightly densely packed city with lots of skyscrapers stride is going to maintain the same accuracy that's why we're, we're, we're really emphasizing this point and that if you're relying on stride for pace and distance these are the same numbers you're looking at in training so let's say you're coming from the plains of, of iowa or nebraska and you're used to looking at your gps pace when you're running in the city, you're not looking at the same numbers if you're using GPS, but if you're using stride, you're looking at the exact same numbers. So you can train to those and race those exact same numbers. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's, you know, it, it is a great question, right? How, you know, how does it maintain its accuracy? Well, um, stride doesn't care where you're running. It only cares about you, right? So it's, it's, you know, very, very personalized and you don't have to worry. That's the thing that we see um, probably the most, the, the biggest worry of people at race expos, because, you know, like we mentioned, 53 and a half thousand people finished New York last year. We see so many people, um, you know, that aren't even running the race stop by at the expos. Right. Uh, but specifically for races like Chicago and New York, where you have to deal with these, these high rise buildings and these skyscrapers, I, the biggest worry that people have at the, um, expos is, well, I don't trust my GPS. I had a bad time last year. I, I blew up because I tried to push too hard, right? When I was going over a bridge. So um, it's something we absolutely hear and we hear it so much, so much. Um, so yeah, this is definitely a, a point that we hear a lot. And it's definitely something that we really enjoy helping people out, um, you know, with, with their race plans and sticking to a power target to make sure they have the most success on race day for sure. So I've got one more good question here that sure. is, is now a good time to bring it up. So we have a question from Katan, and, and I, I'd like to answer this one. Mm -hmm. Is there a New York City marathon race day plan uh, on a mile-by-mile -mile basis offered on stride or training peaks? So one thing that's important to remember here, so the concept of running a power, typically you're going to want to maintain an even power target from the start of the race to the finish of the race. So the real work you need to put in is determining what power target you need to maintain. On top of that, then if you want to get more advanced, you want to customize that power target. And that's specifically why we're going over the course here. Absolutely. So 
if you cannot handle the bridge as well, if you think you're going to have trouble at certain parts, you might want to tweak that power target a little mm -hmm. and lower it. And one thing that's going to be really interesting for the marathon this year is we now have the Stride Workout app. Mm -hmm. So with the Stride Workout app, you can set mile by mile targets. So if you feel like the ISO power target strategy of keeping even power from start to finish is not going to work for you, this new app is going to allow you to do something that you've never done before. Absolutely. You can set the power targets for the specific miles that you need to customize the power target for. So, you know, we made a big deal of the Queensboro Bridge. If you feel like that's going to be costly, maybe you drop the power target down by 5% or maybe even just a couple percent percentage points for that section of the race. But you need to customize it for your exact specific skill set because there, there really is not a one size fits all plan when you start dealing with very complex courses that you mm -hmm. want to perform at the highest level at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like we were talking about a little bit earlier, um, you know, Gus, I think that point is hundred percent correct is that um, customizing your race plan specifically for something like New York, where it's a marathon distance comprised of a bunch of different sections that offer tons of challenges. Uh, and if you have the ability to execute greatly on race day because you have done yourself the favor of practicing these different scenarios and then on race day actually enabling your ability to execute, you know, with stride, with the workout app, um, identifying the specific sections that you know based off your training that you can set exact targets on, um, I think that's an absolutely fantastic idea. It's a great idea. We have a, um, we have a point from Harshare. It was great talking with you at the expo and planning the race strategy. At that point, I had the non-wind. I did a 332 that day compared to a 356 in 2018. So that is a great testimony to, um, that's from Harsh Chaksky. And, uh, and that is a great testimony to the importance of designing that power target and executing the race in the way we just said. And we, we are at the expo, so we actually do help plan mm -hmm. uh, race plans. So if, if you have any questions and you are running the race, you always want to seek us out at Absolutely. an expo like this. We had a uh, super cool, and for people that yeah haven't seen us at the expo in New York, I was super excited to be there because we had the you know very, very cool um, you know, iPad set up, you can get a personalized race target there. Uh, you know, we're, we're standing around there to answer questions, to um, talk to people. I love losing my voice at the end of every day just because we talk to so many people. It's, it's such a, such a fun experience um, being there. Gus, ready to move on to the next section or do we have any other questions? Yep, that's good. Cool. So let's look at two specific race examples here. Um, one, again, room for improvement, and then another one with better execution. So the first one here, room for improvement, uh, there is a little bit of lack of control in the first 5K, as we can see over the bridge, even as the athlete is um, you know, running down the downhill, they're still pretty darn above their, their critical power. Um, so they averaged uh, 247 watts for the first half, average 213 watts for the second half. Um, there's a big, big spike here uh, from mile seven to mile nine. You can you can probably pick it out um, if you can see my mouse. It's this section right here. It's just a little bit too hard of a push too early. Again, like we mentioned, when you're running through you know that section from three through twelve, just get in that groove. Just focus on averaging um, you know that that target. Don't focus on pushing too hard. Um, but you can see these really, really big spikes 
Um, the, the other thing that I can see here too is that coming off of, you know, the, the big bridge in the middle, coming off of, you know, Queensboro Bridge down into First Avenue, there's this push right here to try and bank a little bit of time. And then immediately as we go down this downhill, get back to the flat, it starts to have this downward trend. You know, we hit the a uh, couple bridges heading through the Bronx. We have to run up this big incline on Fifth Avenue. The athlete does a good job at, you know, having the ability to kind of push a little bit more over the rolling hills in Central Park and manages to muster a little bit up for a finish. But an average of 247 the first half and 213 watts the second half definitely leads uh, a lot of strategies for uh, room and improvement. Gus, do you see any other points to make for this specific athlete's data? Uh, I, think it, I think it echoes something I mentioned with Queensborough can encapsulate the entire race. It, yeah. uh, and that, that just, I mean, if you zoom in on that one mile section, that's what the entire race looks like right there. Just trending a little bit downward in the second half. So yeah, for sure. Let's look at a, uh, another little bit more positive example. So improved race execution. This, this athlete started a little aggressive, but quickly, quickly got the start under control. They settled into a good rhythm. They didn't worry about pushing too hard again through miles seven and nine. Um, they respected the bridges specifically. If you look at mile 16 for this athlete here, again, over Queensboro Bridge, they really respected the bridge. You don't see this big artificial spike trying to make up too much time. They got right into that steady groove again. Um, they did have a slight positive split, um, but really, really um, low percentage, 330 watts the first half, 318 watts the second half. They were able to finish really well um, the, the the last mile, the, the last mile um, as they you know entered Columbus Circle and started striding towards the finish line. Um, they were able to really push things uh, really, really well. So I thought that this was a great example of just putting the pieces together of what we talked about. Getting that start kind of under control, it's okay to have a little bit of nerves, it's okay, but as long as you settle into that rhythm, you really respect the bridges through the halfway point, you keep your emotions in check under control, you don't try and bank any time as you have a slight downhill through your first part of Manhattan, you negotiate the bridges heading into the Bronx and then you head back towards Central Park. This athlete did a great job just keeping a really, really solid, consistent uh, power target there and a really, really good race overall, I think. I agree. I agree. It's, uh, you know, you can hold an ISO power target throughout the entire race and sometimes you can just benefit slightly by tweaking it. And uh, there's probably just a tiny bit of room for improvement here. Absolutely. Um, ready to move on to the next section? Yeah, like, yeah. Cool. So we have a special announcement. Gus, would you like to take the reins here on the special announcement that we have? Yeah, I would. So we have we do have a fantastic announcement, and I'd like to show it off. It's a new update for our app. And Evan, while I pull this up, could you actually could you actually I think you had a, a lot to do with this feature. Could you uh, give a quick preview while I pull up the? Uh, yeah, the absolutely. So um, you know, enough teasing. Uh, we're introducing shoe tagging into the mobile app, into the Stride mobile app. Um, this update will be available shortly, um, and we're really, really excited for this. The thing that we want to continue to do is to give more insight, more information, more ability to uh, personalize your running and just get a little bit more insight again. So as Gus has shown here, 
Um, we will have a full release later uh, with a video walkthrough as well, but this is a great first teasing of uh, th this feature here. So you can see in the settings option, Gus, I believe you're using the iOS app, is that correct? Yeah, and one thing to note, this feature is coming today. It's just today. Uh, it's rolling out right now. Yes, so the uh, the settings app, you click on shoes. Gus, can you go back to the settings app and just show uh, again where it is? So it's directly under account information where you normally edit your user profile. There'll be a tab that says shoes and you can view all the shoes you've added. And Gus, let's maybe go through uh, adding a sample pair of shoes. So in the top right corner here, um, you can press top right corner, select all these different brands. So Gus, maybe scroll through all the different brands that we have listed. Um, Gus, why don't you pick, uh, you know, just 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 one brand that you want to add a shoe from? Well, let's do on running. Sure, on running. So you can see all these different um, models and versions of shoes that we have added in here. So Gus, maybe pick a uh, on running shoe that you that you like running in. So we have covered all the on running shoes, but for example, if there's a brand such as Nike where there's a lot of different shoes and we don't mm -hmm. have that model, you can select the other model option and that'll allow you to request a model. Absolutely. But for on, there's not many shoes. We believe we have them all. So let's say I am running in the Cloud Ace. Yep. So we have brand, model, and model number. Here's the thing that we wanted to do here. We didn't want to give you, um, you know, 20 pages of things to scroll through, right? So um, if you're a shoe like the Nike Pegasus 37, we don't want to give you 37 different options to scroll through. Um, you can optionally add the model number in there to keep track. We will, uh, you know, and if it's the Cloud Ace and there's only one, you can leave it blank or you can add model number. You can add whatever you want as that little tag there. Um, you can select your size. So we have US, UK, European, and a couple other different sizes. Um, and then you can press next in the top right corner. You can add a distance. So let's say you use another app where you already track your shoe distance. You can add a starting mileage uh, of your shoe or a starting distance that you have, and you can add a end distance. So if you would like to have a notification when to retire your shoe or be notified when you've crossed a certain distance, then you can absolutely set um, that option here. So Gus, yeah, let's, let's just give an example, I guess, what this notification uh, would potentially look like and then you can add a nickname as well so if you like to have uh you know a couple different names for different shoes so gus has his uh nice yellow shoes he wants it as a default shoe so um this will show up as a defaulted shoe if you normally just run in one pair and you don't really switch pairs too often we want to give you this availability um and then you can press save in the top right corner here and then it'll get added it'll show as a default shoe and now let's go back and uh, tag a run to just get an idea of what the um, data looks like here. So we can use the run reporting option inside mm -hmm. of the mobile app by clicking the little tag. Mm -hmm. And as you remember, I put 295 miles on these shoes. So let's say they're getting close to expiration. So I can actually select that shoe there as part of the normal run tag. Mm -hmm. And then if I hit save, I will receive a notification. I turn my notifications off, but it'll essentially say that you've exceeded the mileage in these shoes and that you should consider evaluating them, seeing if you need to replace these shoes. Yep, absolutely. So we want to give, um, you know, just a basic shoe tracking option, right? So we want to be able to give you that insight. 
We also want to be able to let you filter by shoes as well. So Gus, can you uh, maybe press done and just show people where you click the filter um, option? So in the top left corner here, you can see Gus toggle on the filter. He clicked the middle where it says filter by, and now he can add shoes as a filter option. And he can select different shoes as well. So maybe you can say, you know, racing shoe, you can uh, select the ultra boost, you can select other different shoes. So let's say, you know, you wanna view, uh, just for an example, all runs by um, power over 300 watts average for 10 minutes for these different shoes. You can do as fine grain analysis as you want. You can see how many runs you've done in different um, types of shoes as well. So we really want to give you quick filtering options that we really believe are powerful and will help you um, with quick insight. We're super duper excited to add this feature and we really think it's going to um, add a lot of insight into specifically run reporting and run tagging as well. Um, so it's just a, a great thing. Gus, let's say then your yellow shoes um, got to the point where you say you wanted to retire them. You just simply swipe left on it. And then if you press retire, what happens? Goes away, but you still have the shoes there. The shoes don't go away. They don't get deleted from the system. You're able to still look things up based on the different shoes that you've worn. And so it's a, it's a great interactive, intuitive, easy to use way to view the different um, shoes that you wear, have a notification when the shoes expire, and just get a little bit more insight into your running. Gus, do you have any uh, you know, other thoughts about this general shoe release before we uh, publicize it a little bit later today? Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's an awesome feature. <laughs> shoes matter, shoes matter yes. for your performance. So exactly how you said it, Evan, where you wanna be tagging your high quality workouts with the right shoe. You wanna be tagging your long ones, runs with the right shoe. You, you wanna make sure you're not running on expired shoes. You wanna see what shoes are giving you the best performance. And um, that, is, um, that is what you wanna be doing. Absolutely, and I, I, I do wanna echo the importance again of Gus, if you potentially go back to the calendar option there, um, people should definitely be tagging their runs, not only because you can now add shoes, but because it's very important just to collect the data of how you feel, right? So this just adds an extra step in importance of tagging your runs. You can tag your runs by um, shoes now, and you can only find the shoe option to tag the runs inside the run reporting. So we really, really, really want to uh, encourage you to be tagging your runs because now you can add your different types of shoes there. Um, I do want to make one more point too, Gus. If you go to the settings um, option again, uh, and then you go to add a shoe. Um, if you have uh, you know, a shoe that you don't see or a brand you don't see, you can absolutely request one. If you request one, it'll auto paste a, you know, we have a, a sample um, you know, test thing in here. It'll auto paste um, your uh, email that you have your Stride account um, in there. Angus needs shoes uh, and it'll auto paste your username. That's just so we can contact you and let you know that your shoe has been added. If you do not see the shoe, again, you can use this form. Um, it'll get submitted. Gus can press submit there. It'll give you a uh, confirmation. If you submit on the form, we have gotten that response. So you do not have to 
um, submit another form just to ask for the same shoe over and over again. That's just something I want to say um, at, at the beginning here. If you submit it, we will get the response and we will um, try and add it as quickly as possible. But we have definitely had a lot of great beta testers using this uh, just to add um, you know, a couple of, you know, gaps in the different shoes that we didn't know people were running in. It's been a, a great kind of addition process. But if you do not see a shoe that you are running in, give it another look, make sure that, you know, you're, you're, you're looking through the full list. But if you need to request it, you can request it there. Um, you do not have to request it twice. We will absolutely add it in at the earliest time that we possibly can. So, um, Gus, any other comments about the shoe tagging feature newly released today? Yeah, so uh, keep an eye out for the updates, and that should be really in the next few hours, if not right now. Yep, and then uh, last point I think we have here is your questions. Gus, any other questions we've had uh, trickle in? Yeah, so we've had we've had a few good questions. Um, one that we can just knock off right now. So for the filtering options inside of the iOS app, is that an iOS only feature? Is that coming to other platforms? And I can confirm that, that that feature will come to other platforms right now. The filters is only in the iOS app. Mm -hmm. um, here's a question from Jamie Escalante. So I'm looking at the power files you presented and it looks like a lot of the runs were close to critical power. Uh, is that correct? Should you be running a marathon close to critical power? Yeah, so um, like we, like we talked about for the um, for for the Boston Marathon, the typical recommendation that we have is 80, 90, 91 percent of critical power for these athletes in particular. Um, the data is from altitude, uh, so all of their data is from altitude. They ran at sea level at New York, um, so there's a little bit of adjustment of their critical power um, up there. It's not something that we uh, have displayed right now in Power Center. Um, but for these athletes, the the line for their critical power should actually be a little bit above um, where it is just because they are altitude trained and racing at sea level. There's a question from Joey Alfonso. In general, does Stride recommend an even pace or an even pacing strategy with power? Of course, taking the consideration of the bridges and the uphills. Or does Stride recommend more of a negative split? Yeah, I, I think it totally depends on, on the course. Um, generally, what we would recommend is to reach your optimum performance. We recommend as even a power strategy as possible. Um, it, again, does depend on the runner's ability to sustain power for a certain duration as well. Um, but generally, yes, we do recommend trying to keep as even of a power uh, target and power range as possible. It can be slightly complicated if you have uh, a bunch of uphills and downhills and uh, we're all only human. Um, and so it's okay to have that range, right? You don't have to have that just one number that you can never vary um, over or under, but we definitely like to give you that small little window so you can have your best chance of su success um, on actual race day. Here is a question from Oliver Azavaria. Let's say I have stride and I want to ensure that I'm getting accurate pace and distance. And I do want to collect stride pace and distance to my watch for a race like this. I want to make sure it's accurate. What is the best practice to ensure that my stride is accurate? Yeah, I, I can talk through that. We have a great support article um, that we uh, have used 
very, very, very certain um, precise measures uh, for testing. And so um, Gus, I don't know if uh, we, we can definitely put a link to the support article in the description. Um, maybe we can find it and put it in the chats, uh, but we recommend a, a standardized track test to eliminate as many potential variables that could offer any confusion. Um, so our, our standard test is uh, measuring the the course that you are running on. So specifically, we recommend a track because it is a very repeatable um, circuit to run. We encourage um, measuring to make sure the actual length of your track is correct and you're not getting data just based on assuming that um, the, you know, the actual uh, track you're running on is the exact same as ones that we are assuming. Um, the other point is to put stride on your left foot and to run um, in a very, very, very um, precise manner. Uh, and we have a full support article. Uh, we encourage uh, pretty much eight laps, selecting uh, a lap every time you pass the start finish line, and then uh, looking at the data in Power Center. Um, and then if you have a certain type of watch, like a Apple Watch, and you're using the Stride app, it's very easy um, to set any potential uh, you know, small factor that might be there. For Garmin, you have to make sure that stride pace and distance is coming to the watch. You have to make sure that auto calibrate is turned off. So we have a great, great support article there just to make sure that you are following all the correct steps. Here's a question I would like to answer. We have one from Peter Bartholomew. And Peter is asking that is saying that he wears many different shoes mm. and he's curious and when he's when he wants to make sure stride's accurate if he needs to do that on a per shoe basis and one point i would make here peter is that you want to make sure the anatomical positioning of stride is very consistent as long as the anatomical positioning is very consistent you're not going to have any concerns with accuracy so Let's say you've got a pair of on-running shoes and the stride is positioned in the middle of your foot, and then you're wearing a, a pair of Nike Next Percent that has angled laces. Mm -hmm. So you need to take a little extra consideration when placing the laces. And we actually have a, a video on Facebook where it shows you how to angle the strides so it keeps a very consistent anatomical placement in, in the position of your foot. And if you do this, your concerns about you know, accuracy on a, on a shoe by shoe basis, uh, you're not gonna have those concerns any longer as long as you take that extra consideration when placing stride consistently. Absolutely. So here's one for you, Evan. This is from Patrick Smith and he's got a, he's got a few comments here. It mm -hmm. says he really loves the new shoe tacking feature. And he's saying that he does some workouts where he'll warm up in, in trainers. Mm -hmm. For example, maybe he's warming up in the grass and then he's heading to the track and he's doing a track workout and he needs mm -hmm. to put on his spikes. Mm -hmm. So how do you recommend structuring your recording and your workout tagging for someone who's doing a warm up, a workout, and they're switching shoes between these activities? Yeah. So there are a couple different factors here, right? Um, if you would like to keep a track of your shoe mileage or the amount of distance that you have accumulated on a shoe, um, we would recommend splitting up the activity to track when you are actually doing that session with that counted distance so it gets assigned to that shoe. Um, if you're looking for insights to see 
uh, you know, certain powers that you've maintained and the number of activities you've worn a certain shoe for, um, splitting up the activity is probably a good way to go just to make sure you're getting as accurate as possible. Um, if you just do a, a, a you know, a warm up, a workout and a cool down all in one activity, that's totally fine. It is up to you then I would say to um, make the best judgment call about what purpose you're, you're looking at things for. So if you want to uh, make sure an activity has a certain shoe so you can track that for your power output. Totally, totally feel free to do that. Um, otherwise, I would say splitting things up offers the most accurate analytics and the best um, confidence in your data, especially if you're warming up, doing a workout and cooling down. Um, I would probably recommend warm up, end activity, workout in another shoe, cool down, as a separate activity as well, and list the warm up and cool down with that um, that trainer that you're using. And one one additional point I'd like to make on this: I was doing some research on basically shoe lifespan mm -hmm. before we announced this feature, and you know there's a rule of thumb recommendation, maybe every 300 to 500 miles. However, this is that that recommendation on when to expire your shoes changes on a per shoe basis based on the material, what yep. surfaces you're running in, so. It's not crucial that you get the exact mileage, right? This is really just a, this notification acts as a reminder to check out your shoes. So, yep. you know, you want to be, you want to be looking at the midsole. You want to be looking at how the rubber's holding up. So, you know, there's, there's not like, you know, it's like, oh, I missed a few miles here. So it's 295 and I'm going to expire them at 300. Just treat the 300 mark as a reminder to check out your shoes. Absolutely. You track every single every single mile run because there's a there's a declining benefit for that. It's just not necessary to capture every single mile. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, I, in particular, am super excited about the shoe stuff. Um, I think people watching know that I love running shoes and I'm a self-proclaimed running shoe geek, but it's very, very cool um, to have this feature enabled and we're really, really excited for people to be able to use it. Do we have any other questions that have trickled in, Gus? So we, we do a few. Um, here's a point from Family Cornelison. And Family says, you've, you've done a great job with the webinars. And I'd say that uh, we're going to keep doing them. So yep. if you, there's something you want to hear about or there's something you're really confused about, you should make a post in the Stride community so we can prepare for that topic. And as you can see, we can easily talk about an hour on anything that you want here. <laughs> and we can really expand your stride knowledge if you have, um, if you have questions. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Sean Miller asks that he, he's saying he has a coach and his coach is analyzing his stride metrics and he wants to know what's the best way for a coach to view your metrics. So your coached athlete, the coach wants to analyze the metrics. How, how do you recommend a coach analyzes the metrics? Yeah, um, there are a couple of different ways right now. So we have a lot of training platform integrations where we can export to different training platforms. Um, different training platforms offer different metric analysis, um, you know, tools. But if you are using Power Center you can share an activity link. So it's as simple as going to that activity, pressing the share button, and then it gives a link. You can give that link to your coach, and as long as they have a Power Center account, if you send it to them, they can open it if you've pressed share on it. Um, so if you'd like to send them the specific Stride Power Center activity, that is the 
way that we can control what data we show and what analytics uh, we, we show to the coach. Um, and so I would say those are probably the, the two options right now. Um, we do offer as well, uh, if you're using um, iOS app, uh, you can download as a CSV if you'd like to send that off. You can also do that. Um, but right now, I think those would be my kind of quick suggestions for sharing data with the coach. So earlier, I mentioned the Stride Workout app. And yep. we have Joey here asking, can you describe the Stride Workout app uh, a little more? You mentioned you can plan out a mile-by-mile mile power plan. How would you do that? And what uh, what is that app? Yeah, um, that's the Stride Workout app on Garmin right now. Um, you can also uh, use the Apple Watch app um, to use a structured workout. Uh, it's a great, great feature. Um, in terms of a mile-by-mile mile power plan, uh, I don't think we necessarily advocate as much for the power having to shift every mile, right? Like we want to focus on keeping that power as even as possible. Um, but having a, you know, something that I could think of specifically for New York is a workout where I have steps based on the first two miles. So I make that uh, in, in the workout app I program for the first lap. I want to stick between this target. And then as I hit my next goal, I press the lap button and then it says, okay, for the next lap, I want to stick between this target from miles three through 12, right through Brooklyn. I want to stick exactly at this plus or minus five watts. And so um, you can structure it that way. If you want to structure mile by mile, you can do that. Um, but I think, uh, you know, this is probably, New York's probably one of the most volatile marathon major courses that we look at. So it has a lot of ups and downs, which um, could require some slight modifications. Otherwise, if you're running on a course like Chicago or Berlin, um, you know, London, where they're typically a lot more flat, uh, you're really just going to focus on keeping that power target as even as possible, I think. Yeah, I think you make a great point there, Evan. It's not, don't think about it in terms of miles, think about it in terms of sections. So set up yes. four different sections on your watch and split your watch based on the section. Absolutely. That's really smart. Absolutely. So that wraps up all the questions. We just have a few closing comments here. One from Ashley Green. And Ashley says that she has just purchased her first stride and she's doing her first run tomorrow. Nice. These webinars make my purchase an absolute bargain. <laughs> we, we, we are very glad to hear that. We're super excited. We love doing this. It's uh, I think, you know, it's my favorite thing every time we, every day we get to do these webinars, just being able to interact with people and give um, some more content. So uh, I would say, uh, Ashley, that was, that was the name, correct? Yeah. Uh, Ashley, if you have any questions, we have a great support staff at support at stride.com. There's a great community in the Facebook community, um, the stride community on Facebook. Um, our social media offers a lot of tips as well. So I'd say that to anybody that's new or a prospective, uh, Strider as well. Definitely check out those resources. So that, that wraps up that. And I guess my closing comment is, is that it's uh, May 15th today. And, um, you know, New York, New York is in a few months from now. It's uh, maybe five, five or six months from now. So, you know, now is the perfect time to start running a stride. If you want to start preparing for any fall races and uh, stride is available. So head over to store.stride.com. If you want to, uh, if you want to order Stride and start running in preparation for one of these races.
Awesome. And uh, my closing comments would be, please feel free to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Give us a thumbs up. If you're watching, uh, join the Stride community on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Stride Running. And if you need any help, you can always email us at support at stride.com. For now, this wraps up this episode of the Stride for the Love of Running webinar series. We will be back next week with more content. Thanks, everybody. We're super excited about this release. Um, stay tuned uh, for, yeah, for, for this update uh, coming today. Uh, keep an eye on your email inbox with a uh, full feature release update as well. So, um, Gus, I'll see you later. Until next week. Bye-bye.